0: I think grief is like a relief valve to these little micro aches, these paper cuts that build up over time Mm -hmm. when we start to name them and go, oh, man, actually, that was a massive loss that I missed my mom's 70th birthday. Mm -hmm. And my mom has been such a significant influence in my life, and I didn't get to celebrate her. And instead of just going, get over it, Sarah, like other people have bigger pains, I'm going, no, I actually need to give this space and time in my life to grieve, to sit in the sadness of it, to name the limitation of having so many kids and having this crazy surprise pregnancy and having a broken ankle, to name that and go, this is actually really hard. And for me, it means to do something with that grief, to let that grief be productive so it doesn't build up and I just keep pushing it to the wayside until it starts to show up in other ways.
1: Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. Most of us struggle to admit that we have limitations, let alone actually rejoicing in them. However, my guest today, author Sarah Haggerty, has learned how to better recognize and accept her boundaries and limitations. In today's conversation, we explore how idealism, while often celebrated, can impede personal growth, fostering dissatisfaction and burnout. We also discuss how grieving the loss of certain expectations and embracing our limits can ultimately lead to greater contentment and peace. For those of you that are new around here, I do release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience. I have listeners of all faith backgrounds that listen to the podcast. This episode is coming from a Christian perspective, so if that's something that doesn't fit what you're looking for, check out the other episode that dropped this week with Renee Bennis or join me back here next Tuesday for a conversation that you don't want to miss. And with that, let's get into this episode with Sarah Haggerty.
2: Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast.
0: Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. I love your work.
2: Oh, thanks so much. Well, I'm excited to talk about your new book. It's called The Gift of Limitations. So I was really excited to see this title because I'm 35 now And I don't know why it took me that long to realize that I can't do it all. That's okay.
0: (laughs) I think 35 is actually the magic number for that.
2: (laughs) Oh, so I've heard. So I've heard. A lot of my friends are in their 40s and they have said, that's when I started reevaluating everything when I was 35. Mm
0: -hmm. 35 to 37. It feels like there's a magic number there.
2: Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm in good company. But before we get into the conversation about this book, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
0: All right. Well, I am a writer. I oftentimes say I'm a moonlighter as a writer because I write in very small margins. I've got seven kids. I have a 20 year old all the way down to a very surprised four year old. We're still getting over that surprise. And she's the most wonderful blessing. Uh, so, with seven kids and four of ours are adopted, we, I've got a super full life. Um, but guard my margins pretty vigilantly. So, writing falls into that space, but it's also super life giving. This is my fourth book, uh, The Gift of Limitations. And it's a passion of mine to write and uh, create in that little marginal space.
2: Okay. So, this is your fourth book. And I've read a few of your other ones too. And I really love the way that you write and I love your work. Oh, great. But I. I really think this one will stand out for listeners that you are a Christian author, but I think that your message goes so much further than just people of faith. I think this message is applicable to anyone listening. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about that. Let's go back to what you just mentioned. You said 35 to 37 was a time of understanding limitations. So for you, Mm -hmm. how was it personal? When did you start to realize your own limitations?
0: Well, I think I was given a lot of opportunities to realize them, but I, I think we come out of our teens into our 20s with like this hurtling mentality. Like if there's a fence line in my life, I will overcome it. I will hurdle it. And so I definitely live my 20s like that. I'm going to overcome the world. I'm going um, to take on the world. I'm going to do big things with my life. And not that those things are bad. In my 20s, I actually hit infertility. And that was the first time that I realized I can't will myself to do something my body just will not do. Uh, So that was the first opportunity that I came up against my limitations, like my body won't do this. Simultaneously, my dad was diagnosed with cancer, and he was the ultimate overcomer in my life. My dad, who the, the famous story in our family is my dad hiked the Grand Canyon in a day with a Diet Coke in his hand and no plan. And if you know the Grand Canyon, nobody does that no one. But my dad, that was his mentality. So I grew up with this kind of, you just overcome. Well, my dad actually had a fast-growing brain cancer and passed away the same time that I was facing my infertility. So that's the first time that I went, okay, sometimes there are limits that we just cannot overcome. But then I moved into my 30s. And as we adopted and then had some surprise pregnancies, time as a mom, I just really started to realize There really are only 24 hours in a day, and i have continuing to try to do the work of three people in one, which I did in my 20s when I didn't have so much responsibility. But in my 30s, I started to hit the responsibility and how it didn't match up with the actual time that I had. And so my body started showing me signs, you just can't keep this pace, my mood, my mind. I was grumpy. Those were the sorts of signs for me that, wait a second, my schedule is not matching my capacity.
2: Absolutely. So, you mentioned your physical body, and I was reading a little bit more about you and your story. I read that you had suffered a heat stroke while running. Was that one of those signs that was like, whoa, 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 you got to slow down?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of revelatory of the type of person I am. I trained for a race and had it in my mind. It was a small town race in Charlottesville, Virginia, and had it in my mind I'm going to win this race. And I knew based on my running times that I could potentially win. But I trained and it was, you know, it was this cool summer. So I trained in 70 degree mornings and I didn't realize that there were actually Olympic trailers who would be running the race. So it turned it from a small town race to actually not so much of a small town race. And when I, as I learned that on the morning of the race and it was 85 degrees, I had my splits on my hand. If you're a runner, you know what that is. You've got your times written. I was trained. I literally had a trainer train me. And I refused to read the signs that my body was telling me uh, that I was in heat stroke. And I just kept pushing, which is, it's such a picture of life. I think so many of us do that, especially I would say in our 20s and 30s, where we resist the signs that say, slow down because we just don't have a framework for that. And I actually collapsed just before the finish line. My husband dragged me across the finish line and I was disqualified because you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> uh, but really, if you, look, if you do the research on it, somebody who has a heat stroke, it's actually like a psychological phenomenon where you consciously choose to overcome the signs that your body is telling you to stop.
2: Oh man, wow. Okay. So that was one of those physical signs, but how are you seeing it emotionally play out and mentally in your life? Was it I guess sometimes big things, what do they say, come in threes, or was there a longer period of time before you noticed, okay, I can't do it all?
0: I think it was a long period of time, but I started to notice like I think all of us could probably relate to a shift in personality that might happen in, in our twenties into our thirties, where we maybe get a little bit more cynical, a little more edgy, kinda of grumpy. Um, we might be more snappy with the person close to us, whether it be our best friend or our coworker or our husband. And over time, if I could map it, I saw a slow disgruntledness with my life. And it really was, I kept approaching my life like I had no limits, like I just really could do anything that came my way. And I wasn't letting the limits actually dictate maybe a deeper work inside that needed to happen to find a peace, to find a settledness, to find a contentment with the fence lines that I had been given.
2: That's really interesting. So you believe that idealism negatively influenced you. What do you mean by idealism?
0: Well, idealism by definition is uh, looking towards the ideals at the expense of what's real. And so I think we naturally reward ourselves and are rewarded for idealism at a certain stage in our lives. It's actually what makes people accomplish great goals because you have vision that's bigger than, you have eyes bigger than your stomach. And that's actually for many of us, that's a good thing for a period of time. But then there is a reality where some signs in our life are telling us you actually can't get that goal. Like there, there is a reality in front of you that you can't accomplish And you will lose relationships, peace, um, sleep, your body health, your mental health, if you continue to pursue the ideal at the expense of what the signs are in front of you. For me, you know, four of our seven are adopted. And for kids who've been through significant trauma, life looks different for them. On the outside, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know, but internally, life oftentimes has to be slower. For some people who have a child who has a special need, that that's a pretty obvious thing like you just can't push that kid beyond what they're capable of and i think for us the gift of adoption has been us seeing wow i had an ideal of what our family was going to look like that didn't actually match what was real in front of me and i'm going to kill my people if i keep pushing towards this ideal at the expense of what's really in front of me the limit is that I have a reality in front of me that's not matching my goals. And in some ways, we're conditioned to just then keep going for the goal. But that's like my heat stroke. Then you keep looking at the splits on your hands and and not noticing my body is shutting down. And in our lives, I think sometimes we've got all these warning signs that we ignore because we're so determined to accomplish our ideals. When in reality, I think ideals can end up hindering us if they become something in a place, if we put them in a place that they're not meant to be.
2: I think it's been really hard processing that I can't do it all. And I have, um, there are so many more things I want to do on top of what I'm doing now. And when I actually sit and write it down, I realize I have, I don't even have the time to really manage what I'm currently managing. And so I was talking to a friend last night. Uh, This maybe is not applicable to all my listeners, but for me, I'm like, okay, I guess if I'm showing up in this influencer-y type realm, I'm a podcaster, so I should probably promote my podcast on social media. Okay, how much time should I take? And is there a certain time of day? And part of me is like, okay, I have to remember the algorithm. and Am I going to hit it? And then I was, I know this is so stupid.
0: It's not. I mean, writers have to do that too. Writers very much have to do that.
2: Yeah. So I'm sitting there thinking, you know what? I can't play these games with whatever forces it be are going to dictate it. So I should just post what I want when I want to post it. Is this the end all be all? No, not really at the end of my day. And really, I should also just make sure that I'm not spending too much time on my social media that I'm taking away from the time I'm being a good parent. And that sounds really, that sounds very straightforward. And duh, duh, of course, you're not going to do that. But that's one thing that I've been prioritizing in my life. And I'm letting my parenting fall from the wayside. And I'm a homeschooling mom. And so I realized, like, I really need to time block and stick to those limits. If my time is up for how long I should be working on the podcast, then my time is up, and then I'll start again tomorrow. But I think that I thought that I could – manage this and that and be cooking, but like also working on this and then homeschooling. And it's like, no, you can't possibly do
0: that. Oh, gosh. You, yes. Well, you and everybody else. I think we're all in the same boat. And I think the reality is it's not until we start to see the thread hanging out in our marriages and our friendships, in the in the actual like quality of our work that we start to go, when I try to do it all, there's actually a large loss. It's weird because we think if I can do it all, then I can be all these things. But what we don't recognize is it's it's quality over quantity. So if I'm going to actually add all these things to my plate, I'm going to be less uh, less of the person I actually want to be in the few things that I really care about most.
2: Mm-hmm, absolutely. So that kind of brings me to my next question. In all of that, in recognizing that I can't have my hands in everything – There is a grief to recognize that. There is a grief, and maybe that's too strong of a word, but I know that in your book, you talk about the same thing. So what role has the grieving process played in you identifying your own limitations?
0: I think grief's been really significant. I think I talked myself out of grief for a long time because I have kids who have significant grief in their life. And so in some ways, I think we go, well, there is the child starving in Africa. So I surely, the fact that I'm not able to go on the girls weekend with all my college friends because I have a young baby that I can't travel with, that surely is not real grief. Like I've got to get over that. I think about the year that I wasn't able to get to my mom's 70th birthday because I had broken my ankle and I was pregnant. I couldn't travel alone. And there was no way that I could figure that out in the amount of time that they had actually planned a surprise for her. And so for me to just go, oh, get over it, which is what I think we oftentimes do to ourselves, we coach ourselves into just get over it. We actually don't get over it. We store it up inside of us. We store it inside of our bodies. In many ways, it comes out through headaches and sickness, and we get stressed, and we don't even realize it. I think grief is like a relief valve to these little micro aches, these paper cuts that build up over time when we start to name them and go, oh, man, actually, that was a massive loss that I missed my mom's 70th birthday. And my mom has been such a significant influence in my life and I didn't get to celebrate her. And instead of just going, get over it, Sarah, like other people have bigger pains. I'm going, no, I actually need to give this space and time in my life to grieve, to sit in the sadness of it, to name the limitation of having so many kids and having this crazy surprise pregnancy and having a broken ankle, to name that and go, this is actually really hard. And for me, it means to process that with God, to sit in that grief with God, but to do something with that grief, to let that grief be productive so it doesn't build up and I just keep pushing it to the wayside until it starts to show up in other ways.
2: One thing I was realizing, again, talking to this friend, I told her she was my own personal therapist last night, but um, I was just telling her, I've been experiencing some of the symptoms that you've mentioned, just kind of being grumpy or cynical and snapping more. And I didn't necessarily realize that is a sign of burnout. And all that to say, I told her I'd been daydreaming a lot and she was like, oh, that is a release of dopamine because in that moment where you're daydreaming about your future or being somewhere else, you are allowing yourself to comfort yourself with that little thought. And then you start to get in these bad cycles with things that aren't even real. Does that make sense?
0: That's so interesting. Yes. Makes total sense.
2: Crazy. Yeah. So apparently I've been doing that.
0: Well, and it's interesting because I talk about that in my book, not necessarily a dopamine hit because I didn't know physiologically that that's what happens, but how we create these whole daydreams in our – we create this alternative reality in our minds, which We as humans right now in in 2024 are very used to alternative realities because we have this world on our phone that I can access what's going on in my neighbor's world, in my friend's world who's living in London, in my cousin's world who's living in California. And so I can create these whole realities. But our daydreams, we actually foster this escape from our own limitations. And so it's just, again, it's the slow buildup of like, I'm disgruntled. I'm feeling dissatisfied. I'm not doing anything with that. I'm just giving it a little bit of release when I think about when I'm no longer doing diapers or when I'm not doing both college visits and training a child to write their letters at the same time. You know, I I imagine my life with two kids who are four years apart instead of seven kids that are all so close together. Um, And what it actually does is it prevents me from facing the limitations that I've been given and receiving the gift that they are. Our limitations are a gift. And you you know this because this is so much of your message. But in many ways, I think we have limitations that we haven't said yes to, that we haven't chosen. We, We have limitations placed on us. And because they are placed on us, we resent them. When in reality, our limitations are a gift. And so much of life is a journey into understanding that when I am limited, there is a gift to be had there.
2: Yes, absolutely. And with that ruminating on the same thought, I mean, our brains are where they're malleable, so we can change them. But we also drill these little pathways in our head. And that's why it becomes so realistic. And someone might use shopping to fill that that void. Someone might use food or exercise, whatever your pleasure is. But I, I think I realized... When I was talking to her, I'm like, oh, I'm not an addict of any sort, but that in a way is an addiction of just allowing yourself to, I don't know, just get into these negative habits where you're not grateful and you should be grateful for the things that you were given. If I zone out and look at my life, I'm like, wow, what a blessed life I have. But then you get these little cycles of where you forget that gratitude. And I think that's the most important thing. And you're talking about being grateful for the limits so that we can focus on the things that really truly do build us up and what we can actually manage and touch right now.
0: Yes. And I think, you know, researchers say we have 6,000 thoughts in a day. What's so interesting is we do so much to tweak our schedule and our priorities and our goals, but there's a whole real estate up here in our brain 6,000 thoughts that, for the most part, go unevaluated and let, until they get so big and out of control that we're having an anxiety attack or a panic attack, and then we don't know what to do. But every day I have real estate, 6,000 thoughts here. And if I'm honest, so many of those thoughts are these very subtle, like, oh, if I didn't have this much responsibility and, oh, why is this kid again struggling in this way? And, oh, if we just had a little more of this or, oh, if I could just travel. You know, I look at Instagram for one second and see a friend who's in Hawaii and I'm like already like, oh, why am I in Kansas City in January, you know? And and these, so that's my 6,000. And it just cycles through unexamined. But there is a power actually to starting to open the hood a little bit, to look into our minds and see what's happening with those 6,000 and what are we doing with that 6,000. A lot of times we're just passively receiving it. So I'm standing at my backyard, like figuratively speaking, and I have this luscious yard and beautiful trees and green grass, and my eyes are over the fence line. This is figurative. And my thoughts are over the fence line. My daydreams are over the fence line. And then I wonder why I'm waking up grumpy or why I'm snapping at my husband or why I'm snapping at my kids. It's because there's these 6,000 unevaluated thoughts. I wonder why I can't be present with my kid on their birthday, at their birthday party, because my mind is already thinking about something. I, I have one conversation with a mom about some little trip she's taking or about some little luxury she has. And my mind's there during the birthday party, right? And that 6,000 then is getting occupied instead of by receiving my limits and being present to what's right in front of me, my daydreams and what's on the other side of the fence. It's, and, and then it just makes me just heart sick.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Heart sick. That's a great word for it. And again, it seems... It seems like a first world problem. Silly to say, hey, like, oh, I'm heartsick about these daydreams I have. But I mean, it doesn't deny that I don't feel that emotion.
0: Oh, absolutely.
2: That's still real in my experience. So I think that's what's been hard to navigate.
0: And I think that's part of the grieving, too, is I, I feel like our emotions have a lot more power over us when we don't name them like sometimes we're just so afraid of naming them, right? We're so, I'm so afraid because I don't want to be that grumpy person because I don't want to be that dis, the disgruntled person with my life that I don't want to name that I'm actually unhappy. And there's something that can happen when I go, I'm really sad. And so, I, you know, we use the terminology uh, in the adoption world, name it and tame it. Like when I can name my emotion, it actually loses some of the strength over me. It loses some of the hold because I'm actually just taking the air out of it instead of letting it get bigger and bigger I'm afraid to name it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So going back to productivity, you talk about having a productivity fast. I think that I could benefit from this. (laughs) So maybe explain that to listeners.
0: Well, it was just kind of I. I'm always I'm always uh, tinkering with different ideas, and I was noticing just practically the way I would plan my week is I would have a list of five or six, maybe seven or eight things in a day administratively that I would need to get done, like very practical things, in addition to being a mom and being present and writing. And I noticed that at the end of the day, it was like I was a slave to this list and a slave to the things I needed to get done. Not so much of the list, but I am wired to feel good about myself when I'm productive. I'm wired to feel like a day that I've accomplished a lot is a good day. And that's a tough thing. Like I, you know, Kurt recently in the last year have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Well, that's a pretty tough thing to say that my worth and my value comes from how much I can accomplish in a day when I've got something in front of me that's going to limit that. But the productivity fast was years ago where I started to notice um, I felt good when I was productive. And then I started to think, I don't want my productivity to drive my sense of worth and value. And so for me, I just played a little game with myself. And I figured out my most productive hours were between like, you know, one and three, two and four when the kids were napping at that point in time. If I could limit myself such that I would literally be taking walks and reading poetry and reading literature during my most productive hours. I wanted to expose the thoughts that came up here. And I thought, what am I going to do with those thoughts? And it was actually a very valuable experiment because I started to see how much my sense of worth was tied to my productivity. None of us want that because we are going to have seasons in life where we're not productive. We are going to have times in life where we're not producing. And then where do we get our worth? where is our value. And so for me, it was consciously saying, I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to limit myself here. And I'm going to see what comes up. I'm going to bring this to God. I'm going to figure out how am what where is my real worth and value come from and what does it look like to be somebody who's confident in herself and in God even when I'm I'm not productive. And it was wildly successful for that reason
2: hmm I just want to make sure that we hit everyone listening because I know not everyone is a writer or a podcaster. So I think this could be like cleaning your house and the way that your house appears to people that may be coming over or just for your husband or even for yourself. I think allowing some of those things to not have so much pressure over our lives, to have so much... Um, dictation over the way that we feel about ourselves.
0: Absolutely. Well, and honestly, that was my task list was not related to writing. My task list was related to, you know, ordering new clothes for my kids, making sure they had the right winter gear. Like that's a weird thing to go, I'm just not going to do it today. Or like I am host I love to host. Hosting a party and going, well, it it's right in the middle of my productivity fast, I'm not going to clean the bathrooms. What does it look like to host and not clean your bathrooms? You know, or I'm deciding I'm not gonna do three appetizers, I'm just gonna do one. Or I'm gonna drive my friend's kids and I'm gonna let the van be a mess. It was those kinds of things that I actually was choosing to limit to see what does it feel like to pull up and pick up a friend's kids and I didn't clean the van.
2: That's great. I love that you didn't do that. That's taking our time and our energy
0: I mean it's maddening.
1: It.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explore a world of well being with Audible, where a rich variety of content allows you to get closer to the best version of yourself. I've used Audible for years because it's one of the most accessible ways for me to read more throughout my year. I also prefer to listen to nonfiction books on audio, but I want to talk about how listening to audiobooks helps me be the best version of myself. I recognize that well being is a personal, multifaceted journey. Which is great because Audible offers diverse wellness categories, including physical, mental, spiritual, motivational, occupational,
1: and financial. Whether you're into talk listening about your favorite wellness titles or diving into a captivating audiobook, Audible brings you closer to voices that can change your life. For those of you
2: who haven't used Audible, it's an easy-to-use app where you can enjoy all your audio entertainment in one place. My recent reads are Scarcity Brain by Michael Easter, Reframe Your Brain by Scott Adams, and The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Whatever it may be for you, find stories that inspire and personalities that encourage and enlighten you. New members can try Audible
1: now free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash minimalist moms or text minimalist moms to 500 500. That's audible.com slash minimalist moms or text minimalist moms to 500 500 to try Audible free for 30 days.
2: All right. So again, we've been talking a lot about seasons and how maybe right now we don't have the bandwidth to do this and that, but seasons do change. They have been flow. And I'm wondering what it looks like to find balance for understanding our limitations, but also understanding that we can have hope that maybe our limitations are only for a season.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, I think it comes back to us being present to what's right in front of us, which again, ties into how we're addressing the 6,000 thoughts in our head. The more present I am with what's what's right in front of me, the less future casting I do. And if I have a current limitation, like let's just use my Lyme disease right now. If I think, well, or my Lyme disease six months ago, because right now I'm actually on a, on a healing trend. Six months ago, if I thought I am going to be this fatigued and this tired forever, I would wake up every day so sad. So I think in some ways we have to limit ourselves into going everything in life is a season. Everything in life is temporary. I mean, you know, one of the authors that I love to read, Kurt Thompson talks about one of the challenges to suffering is this fear that we have that it will never end. And in some ways, I think our limitations touch that. like if if I actually believe that this current limitation is going to be forever, I'm probably going to be sunk. So in some ways, we have to and to use the same terminology in a different way, we've got to limit our thoughts and go, I'm gonna live this current reality and it's challenging, and I'm gonna protect my mind. From going to what if this plays out for 10 more years? Because I just am not going to have the ability to, I can't know what 10 years is going to look like. It's just going to sink me now if I live that way. And if we look back, the I mean, the other benefit is if we look back and tell ourselves the stories of our lives, every season of my life where I have been like notably limited has been only a season. Every hard time has been only a season. And so I need to stop the future casting and the dread because it actually really prevents me from being present. And it's which came first, the chicken or the egg. The more present I am to my current reality, the more I silence the future casting and the dread, which really is like, you know, totally hinders me.
2: Absolutely. Well, Sarah, I feel like we barely scratched the surface with all the content you have in this book. So I want to direct listeners to your book, The Gift of Limitations. But where else can they connect with you online if they mm-hmm. want to do so?
0: Well, I'm on Instagram at Sarah Hagerty Writes, and I also have a Substack page uh, called Soar, and I write there pretty regularly.
2: Great. Well, as we wrap things up here, I didn't prompt you for this, but I ask my guests two questions at the end of every podcast. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners?
0: You know, I love – there is a a friend of mine, actually, who created a journal called The Growth Book. If you look up growth, Growth Roots Co., that journal is kind of a guided journal. It's not it's not overguided. Sometimes I feel like when you have a journal or something to record your thoughts as a writer, I like to just write, just get out what's on my in my system on a page. That is a guided journal but not overguided. Um, and I really appreciate I like the feel of the pages. I'm kind of a writing geek, so like I like the actual the way my pen feels on the page and the way that it lays fat, flat. so that's been an awesome resource for me.
2: Okay. Well, I'll be sure to include a link for that journal in the show notes. But my last question for you is, what is something you can't stop talking about? And this can be something silly, frivolous, serious, whatever you want to share.
0: I think I might say Pilates. That has been my postpartum rehab, but I'm well postpartum now. It's been my later years of life strength training Pilates has been like the secret I never knew I needed. And once I discovered it, I keep telling everybody in my world, you've got to do Pilates. And I'm a hardcore runner, so it's really using a totally different methodology and body strength. But it's been like a game changer for me in this season of life.
2: That's so funny. I, I'm i not a runner like you. I'm like 11, 30-minute mile, <laughs> so I'm a jogger.
0: I'm about there too, though.
2: <laughs> well, I wanted to do something to support my muscles while I was running. So yesterday, I took my first Pilates class.
0: No way. Yeah.
2: yeah that's okay, so-, so I
0: will tell you, truly, it is a game changer. I mean, I've been doing it for seven years now, but like I, being a lifelong runner, I've been a runner since I was 14. I My body has not been had the strength and shape, and I don't mean like shape in terms of appearance, but I mean like I feel strong without Pil- Pilates. has like changed my physique in, an, in a way that, uh, physique is the wrong word, but like it's just changed the way that I feel physically and my strength. It's been a game changer. So keep going.
2: I worked muscles yesterday that I didn't even know existed. So I'm
0: <laughs> You know leave and you're like, oh my goodness, did I have that muscle? Where did that come from?
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, Sarah, it was great talking with you. Thanks for sharing your book with me and I appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online.